This is episode number 651 with Kate Stroshny, data community entrepreneur and author of the new book, Colorwise. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, the most listened to podcast in the data science industry. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. I'm your host, John Crone. Thanks for joining me today. And now, let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be back on air with the wonderful Kate Stroshny. Kate is a multi-time data science book author. Her latest book was recently published by O'Reilly and is called Colorwise. It's a beautiful, comprehensive guide to the effective use of color when communicating data visually. She's also the founder of the Dedicated Circle, a community of data professionals committed to engaging and learning together. She is a megastar on LinkedIn, where she has over 170,000 followers and was twice recognized as a LinkedIn top voice for data science and analytics. She's also big into long distance running. Her longest to date was a 50 mile, that's five zero mile, ultra marathon in New York's Central Park. Today's episode should appeal to technical and non-technical folks alike because I suspect that pretty well any listener of the show presents data and could benefit from learning how to do so more effectively with the intentional use of color. In today's episode, Kate details why now was the perfect time to write her book on color for data visualizations, why the intentional use of color matters, what thought process you should follow to select a color scheme for a visualization, special considerations for color choice such as accessibility, cultural understanding, and due to human psychology. She also talks about how to effectively use multiple visualizations together in documentation, a presentation, or a dashboard, and she fills us in on her favorite data viz tools. All right, you ready for this vibrant, full-color episode? Let's go. Kate, welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Oh, man, what a great guest you always are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me back. Um, So you were most recently on the show in episode number 441. You were one of my first ever guests when I became host of the Super Data Science Podcast, but you also had one with Kirill at some point before that. Yes, yes. I think a year or two before that, I was on on the Super Data Science Podcast. You've got, you know, let's be honest. Let's tell the audience, who gave you the better hosting experience? Was it Carol and me? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'd have to pick you for one one very, Whoa. one reason. Listen, Kirill, yeah. uh, we had some recording issues. So it wasn't really him. And then mm. we had to take a break because oh. he had to go take care of something. Oh. Uh, and, then, and then we came back and then we had to re-record another part. And for me, re-recording is... A nightmare because I wanted to come out authentic, and if I've said it once, mm. saying it again feels kind of awkward, and I'm not as excited. Oh, um, man. But besides that, it was great. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to give like a really funny reason, and then you gave a real one, so that was a big surprise for me. <laughs> um, like I thought it was going to be because I'm bald or something. It was better, you know. Like I like you like all of your podcast hosts to be bald. Uh, it was going to be a reason. <laughs> I was going to say the guitar, but um, I've never seen you actually play it. So I don't know if that's just uh, No, I, I even did once on air. There's an episode 
so the final episode of 2021, episode number 536. Okay. Ends with me playing guitar and singing. Okay. Well, I'll have to check that one out. That could yeah. give you bonus points there. That's yeah. And uh, I actually, I wanted to end the 2022 episode in the same fashion, but I broke my finger. And it's like, I mean, it's is like, that a real excuse though? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I only know one song. So I deliberately broke my finger. Um, <laughs> What's the song you played in 2021? Ooh, I played a song that was made famous by Nirvana in their Unplugged in New York performance. And it's a song that's by the Meat Puppets. I'm getting really close. It's called Oh Me. It's called Oh Me. Okay. By the Meat Puppets. Can you sing it? I don't think I remember the whole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, context, Kate. Uh, you can go back and listen to the podcast episode. Uh, good, good try, though. Good try. Um, I can't sing because my finger's broken. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so, all right. Uh, where in the world are you calling in from, Kate? Uh, New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. know that there's a really nice restaurant called Mr. Sushi near where you live. <laughs> uh, yeah, really? They have, they have, it's the only place I've ever seen where you can get cheese in a sushi roll. Oh, interesting. And another it, interesting. It, it is interesting. I don't is recommend it. Is it like a Philadelphia it. roll or? Nope. Nope. that's nope. cream cheese. Yeah, no, yeah, the Philadelphia roll thing, the cream cheese thing. I think that is a uniquely American thing, but that's somewhat widespread. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, New Jersey was the first place that I ever had, like, cheese. Like, like, a, hard like an American cheese. cheese, like a cheddar cheese, yep. like a hard Parmesan. Yep. <laughs> that's yep. kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was really weird. And so that's why I'm saying it's possible in New Jersey to do. Yeah. But I, I'm not recommending it. <laughs> I don't think I'd order that one, yeah. Uh, fish and cheese together at last, everyone's dream combination. Um, so, well, we're not really here to just talk in this episode about fish and cheese together, although we could probably make an entire episode about it. Uh, we want to talk about your new book. So we have, I have a new book. You have a new book. I have it right here with me. You very kindly sent me a copy. I asked Kate for an electronic version so I could uh, research for this episode. And she sent me a physical copy and it seemed, and it wasn't like you got O'Reilly to send me one. No, no. So O'Reilly sent me 20 copies oh. when it, when the book came out and I still have some back there um, behind you. If you turn around, you'll see them. You'll see <laughs> them all. You. Why, why did you store them here in my apartment? How did this even happen? Who let you in? <laughs> so, so yeah, I had some copies and I figured it'd be quicker to get it to you in, in time for the podcast. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I noticed, yeah, it, it seemed like it had been sent just from like your Amazon accounts. So thank you very much. And it's a fantastic book. I actually already wrote an Amazon review about it. Gave it five stars. Almost gave it four. No, no. It was obviously a five star review. It's, it's exceptional. The amount of research that you put into all of the topics, just tremendous. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure when I was thinking, how much is there to write about color? There's a ton. And, and for me personally, one of the most exciting things was that it starts with the neuroscience of yeah. color perception. And my background is in neuroscience. And so I loved uh, getting a refresher on that. I thought it was extremely well done. And unsurprisingly, given that it is a book about color, it is filled with fantastic figures. 
full color figures uh, throughout. I think like just about every page has a full color figure in it. Um, and yeah, so it also makes for a very easy read. It's almost like a picture book. It is a picture book. Yeah, it's a color yeah. book. The <laughs> coloring book. You the appendix color is just some coloring. You get to color in some charts. <laughs> I should have done that. That's a good idea. It'd be really fun. Oh my God. Okay. Edition two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to practice like everything you learned about. Yeah, right color in this chart. Oh my you God. You get a free set of crayons with your purchase. No, seriously, you're giving me a good idea right now. <laughs> like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have printable coloring sheets for yeah. data visualization where people can practice their skills. Yeah, it started as a joke, but Kate yeah, is right now. Yeah. Taking, is literally I'm literally taking, taking notes. Taking notes. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't want to forget. So that's cool. And then actually, if you're listening to this and you're listening to it right when it comes out, then you actually have a chance to get a free copy of the book because the first five people that comment on my LinkedIn post when the episode comes out. So every episode that comes out, I post on LinkedIn that the episode is out. And so you can go to my LinkedIn page, find the post. And if, you, if you're one of the first five people to comment on the post that you would like a copy, O'Reilly has very kindly agreed to send a digital copy to the first five people to comment. And that way we can guarantee no matter where you are in the world, we can send you the copy of it. You know, there's no shipping issues or yeah. That kind do of they thing. have to say anything in the comment? Like what, what do they have to comment? Picking. I want book. I want book. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah. So thank you very much, O'Reilly, specifically Suzanne Huston. She's been great. We've had these book giveaways before, and she just recently, uh, shortly before uh, we filmed this episode, Suzanne confirmed that she'd love to do this whenever I have O'Reilly guests on the show. So that's awesome. And for those of you who don't happen to be in those first five, but you want to read Kate's book anyway. Uh, you can get a 30-day free trial of the O'Reilly platform with our special code that Suzanne also just gave me. It's SDSPOD23. And maybe that'll only work in 2023. I don't know. If you're listening in the far future, it might not work. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, SDSPOD23, it gets you a free 30-day trial of O'Reilly. And Kate's book is obviously in there, along with millions of, I don't know, millions, a lot. I don't know millions, but thousands. There's lots of, of books yeah. and Tons of content in there. I have dozens of videos and my book is in there. Anyway, so very cool. Thank you. Thanks to O'Reilly. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there that'll take advantage of that really kind offer. Um, so your book, it's called Colorwise, a data storyteller's guide to the intentional use of color. Let's unpack that for our listeners. What is a data storyteller? Is it someone who makes things up about color? That sounds a lot like you. Right, right, right. You're close, but not really. So a data storyteller, it, it can be anyone who's telling a story and they're using data in their story. So they're using visuals, they're using graphics, charts, bar charts, pie charts, whatever you might want to use to uh, basically provide those insights in a way that's easily digestible to their audience. So you can be a data storyteller. Anyone could be a data storyteller. All you have to do is cool. tell stories with data. Yeah, I we I think we did a uh, we recently had a uh, an episode very much focused on the kind of storytelling aspect. So we had, do you know Ann K. Emery? Yes, yeah. yes, she's spoken yeah. at uh, dedicated conferences before, and she did stuff. Uh, she she actually teaches an Excel course in the dedicated circle. So familiar oh, with Ann. Yeah. What's the dedicated circle? 
It is an online community for data professionals where they all get together. There's a discussion board and we have courses on data to dashboard with things like Excel, which Anne taught, and there's Tableau and there's Power BI and R and Python and all these cool and data storytelling. Um, so there are courses and a discussion board. Cool. Can someone get like a certificate in storytelling? Not yet, but the platform I'm using, Circle, uh, they're working on becoming more of like a learning management system where you can actually get certificates if you take a course. So Cool. I'd love to be certified in that. Uh, people are always saying that I'm, I'm telling really bad stories. So that, that's very common feedback for me. That's why they gave me a podcast. Um, so yeah, Anne's Emery, Anne Emery's episode is number 637. If people want to check out uh, a lot of uh, guidance on storytelling in general, um, and yeah, so you are a storyteller too, but our specific focus in this episode is on color, of course, because of your ColorWise book. So how does that tie into the storytelling and why does the intentional use of color matter? Right. So, you know, this, this actually came about in an interesting way where every time I would get on the podcast or do a training or workshop, uh, I used to talk mainly about data storytelling, data visualization, and visual best practices. And out of those three things, I usually would talk about selecting the right chart, making sure you reduce any unnecessary clutter. And then the third thing I always talked about was intentional use of color. Because I think those were the three components that I would envision when you're trying to put a visual together, tell a data story. Uh, those are the three things that need to go right, right? And I personally, I just fell in love with color. So, because I think there, there's a lot of content out there on the other pieces of like what charts to pick and declutter and just visual best practices in general. And I did not find a specific book on color for data visualization. And I had two ideas right away. One, no one cares. <laughs> like, who cares about color? And, um, and then I'm like, no, that can't be it. The second one, uh, second thing that I was thinking was that maybe no one's thought of writing a book on this topic yet. Because like yourself, they're probably like, well, how much is there to say on color? And there's a lot. Uh, there's mm -hmm. you, you can include over 130 pages of content, according to ColorWise, on, on the topic. And I think it ties in very well into data storytelling because color is so helpful for people to interpret information. It, it makes visuals pop. It makes you have emotions. It can set, set up alerts or highlights in your brain of like, oh, this is important. This is not important. And I mean, it also does make things prettier. I know that's like sort of a last thing on there, but it can be vis more visually appealing where people actually want to look at your charts. I think that, that even that final point there about the aesthetic is more important than people appreciate. And probably also a lot of technical people like myself and maybe a lot of our listeners were concerned about like things being correct yeah. and being sharp and crisp. But yeah. then when you're presenting information to somebody else to digest, subconsciously at least, yeah. if something is aesthetically pleasing, they're probably more likely to accept the story that you're telling them. Yes. And, and I have to give credit to this um, reference to Dustin Schimmick when I was on his Data Ideas podcast. He talked about color being the, the last inch of data analytics, which I absolutely love that. We talk about the last mile of uh, data analytics as being data visualization. And when he called it the last inch, I'm like, oh, that makes so much so much sense to a runner, right? <laughs> 
where it's like the last inch of the marathon, like it's the final detail. So you, you can make sure that you've got everything correct as a technical professional. You've got all the code right and the data is clean and makes sense and all that. But if nobody really wants to look at it, then have you wasted time? I mean, hopefully not, right? Hopefully people will still still be looking at what you've put together, uh, especially if it's important enough, but making it visually appealing and adding color to help tell that data story can really help you get that message across. Nice. Yeah, agreed. As we often discuss on air with guests, deep learning is the specific technique behind nearly all of the latest AI and machine learning capabilities. If you've been eager to learn exactly how deep learning works, my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, is the perfect place to start. Physical copies of Deep Learning Illustrated are available in seven languages, but you can also access it digitally via the O'Reilly Learning Platform. Within O'Reilly, you'll find not only my book, but also more than 18 hours of corresponding video tutorials if videos your preferred mode of learning. If you don't already have access to O'Reilly via your employer or school, you can use our code SDSPOD23 to get a free 30-day trial. That's SDSPOD23. We've got a link in the show notes. And so I'm curious, have you always been passionate about color? Is this something that, like, because you kind of told us how you came across this idea of how you know, the three main areas that people need to get right and data visualization and color would seem to be like the part that was least covered in the market, that there wasn't yeah. already a book out there for data visualization. But has this, it, did it also like kind of like tickle your brain in a way that you were like, you know, this is something I've always been passionate about anyway, I'd love to do this. Yeah, I, I think it actually started when I took on my very first data visualization project when, um, when I was just getting into data visualization at work, I was given a project to visualize a scatter plot that sort of had this overlay of four quadrants. It was sort of like a, a personality test where you, you take a little assessment and then it plots you on the scatter plot of four different personalities in the corporate world. And as I designed it, right, it took me forever to figure out how to do this in Tableau, how to get the scatter plot just right with the, the image in the back. So it was years ago also, so it wasn't that easily done. And then the final step was I had to make it visually appealing when I was presenting it to the managers there. And I wanted to use the four colors that were already associated with those personalities because there was a lot of, you know, brochures and literature on this. And, you know, personality A was red and B was green. And then the person I was reporting to, he's like, oh, no, Kate, no, throw that out. Like, we need to use the brand colors. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yes, boss, right? Whatever. I don't care. It's color. I, I did all this work. Like 99% of the work is done. I just had to just edit the colors. So I go in, I edit the colors, I make them brand colors. We present it to, to the manager's managers. And they're like, you know, this is, looks perfect. I wish we used the same colors as we use for those four personalities. And I'm like, oh my God, like I knew it. Like I knew that we had to use those colors. And I think that's when the excitement and passion for the topic was born, where I'm like, we, you can make a big difference by using the different colors. And yeah, I think that that was what, like nine years ago, where when that that first took place, and I think from all the other visual best practices, that was always my favorite because it always um, surprised me when people don't think about this. Um, my my husband got into data visualization shortly after I did, and he put together a chart just for practice using Power BI or Tableau, and it was a chart for Burger King, right? Just like regular Burger King calories and some other stuff. 
And he he's a huge Burger King fan? No, not at all. He just found sample data. He wanted to like create a dashboard so he could show other people his dashboard. So he creates this dashboard that has Burger King data on it. And I noticed that he used like a lot of purple, lots of different shades of purple. And then there was green in there. And to me, I'm like, why in the world would you use so much purple for this dashboard that's about Burger King? Like it, it didn't make any sense to me. And to him, he was like, well, it's just color. It doesn't matter. And I think that was the second moment where I'm like, no, it does matter. And I'm going to make people care. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to prove it. I'm gonna, you're going you're gonna to regret saying that. We're, I'm going I'm to write a whole book about it. And, and, and you're going to have to watch the kids the whole time I'm writing a book. <laughs> well, they're in school now, so it's much easier. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully I proved them wrong. And I think people do care about color. Um, and they're going to care more, more and more. Like that, When people tell me they've read the book, uh, they always come back and say that they're noticing color everywhere and they're noticing mm-hmm. how it's used properly and improperly and that there is a right way to use it. Is that because you managed to find a way to print LSD into the pages of your book? <laughs> no. <laughs> People are like, oh, or man, I'm just seeing me. lots of color. I'm just noticing all the colors. Wow, it's just like you a kaleidoscope out there. <laughs> I'm going to read your book again soon, but not too soon because that was too intense. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so like, can you tell us like, why is Burger King, like, why is purple bad for Burger King? Because it's like, it's not in their brand colors or because like burgers aren't purple. It, both. Right. So I yeah. either pick natural colors that you would find in a burger or use the brand colors. Exactly. So it could just tell a better story. The purple was sort of distracting. Like, mm-hmm. why is this purple? And why are these numbers green? And you can use color intentionally to tell a story. And what I'm noticing is a lot of people simply throw color on the data visualization as a last last second thing and then don't think twice about it. Uh, even a couple of days ago, I posted on LinkedIn, there was a poll, I'm asking people which colors they would use to specify different genders, right? Because right now, uh, people are sort of against using the blue for men and pink for women, and there's this right. whole debate. So I just wanted right. to see what are people thinking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the comments came back with like, oh, who cares? I'll just use any color that like the first color that I see. And I'm like, well, no, you could be intentional. And it's the, it's like when you're right. getting dressed to go out, yeah, you've showered and brushed your teeth, but like oh. you're going to put on. Taking notes. <laughs> you're going to put on <laughs> clothes that, that look good. Like you're going to think about it. Um, I, obviously not everyone's going to think about it, but most people if they're going to a special event or something, or you're going to be presenting to a thousand people, which your data visualization might be seen by a thousand people, mm-hmm. you would dress it accordingly. It's actually, it's funny that you mentioned that in terms of like the colors someone should wear, because um, my operations manager, Natalie, she recently came across a website called Colorwise that is about based on like features of your skin tone and like your eyes and your hair color, yeah. It's like a recommended palette of colors to wear. And okay. she was like, is this Kate's website? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> oh my God. I should trademark this. I actually think <laughs> I should check out that site to see, see what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, you can find out your, uh, that's, <laughs> you can find out finally what colors you should have been wearing the whole time. Um, <clears throat> so this is going back a little bit to something you mentioned earlier, and I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this because it's not, really related to color, but it's just so fascinating to me to think about how nine years ago, when you first got interested in color, you had a boss and that boss had a boss. And 
how happy are you now, Kate Strasch? Oh my God. I'm so happy. Uh, I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and I can't wait for every single day. Like Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, it does not matter. I, I look forward to every single day. So very, very, very happy. You know, Wednesday is the day after Tuesday, but whatever. <laughs> it is. It doesn't matter. That's the point. <laughs> oh, and that also, that reminds me, I don't know if you're still doing this, but I remember you telling me or posting, I can't remember. I somehow came across that you you were experimenting with like a reduced work week. Oh, yes, that was me. I still am. Since June of like a year and a half ago, I don't take calls on Mondays and Fridays and I only work between nine and two. And then even then I sort of take two hours of a break for coffee and catch up and stuff like that. And I don't work weekends and I take July and August almost fully off. It's the best. Wait, 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 wait. So you work Tuesday through Thursday from nine to two with a two hour break. Yes. But there might be times when I'm just so excited to work on something that I will work outside of those hours. But we are can't. we are filming this episode on a Friday. I know. And that's why it was like that time slot was available. I don't have calls on Fridays. So yeah. it leaves me to do things like this. It gives me extra time right. to so read something books, go if you're passionate about something, yeah. You might still do it. Oh yeah. I mean I'm not just gonna like sit. Like I'm not I want to do something. So I, yeah. I better make sure that this episode is really a grind for you, that it really feels. <laughs> oh, like yeah, but it's so difficult. Like, I'm going to make you redo all the colors might, on a chart. <laughs> I might and not make it to the end. <laughs> back to the original colors afterward. <laughs> and it's that the thing is, it was so quick and easy to actually make the change, but it was so reassuring knowing that I was right. Um, so, all right. So, we, I, I do want to spend just one more question on this whole work thing, which is, yeah. so, uh, we've talked about now, you know, that story nine years ago is why you're passionate about color. What was, is, do you have any specific stories as to when you were like, I'm working on my own, I'm going to just have my own companies now. I mean, I've wanted my own company since, since I was like 10 years old. When I came to America when I was nine, I started a company uh, where I would print custom bookmarks for people, which is actually hilarious. Cause like yesterday I wrote down something in my notebook where I'm doing a book giveaway at a conference that's coming up in a couple months. And my plan was to print custom bookmarks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm coming full circle to my bookmark <laughs> days. <laughs> Cause I used to sell these bookmarks to my classmates. Uh, back then Pokemon was cool. So I would mm-hmm. go to the local library cause we didn't have a computer. We just like moved to America and I would print out like the Pikachus and the other Charizard or whatever that they would request, get their name on there. I would color them in because the library didn't have a color printer. So I would color it in and I would sell it to them based on how many stickers or or little um, unique things they wanted on their bookmark until my teacher is like, oh, wow, you're selling. Oh, you're giving out bookmarks to your classmates. And I'm like, oh, I'm selling them. Do you want to buy one? <laughs> and then she's like, you can't sell on school grounds. And that was like the oh end of my, my business. Um, so I always knew I wanted to do this. And I, I think I could have started sooner, but I'm just in, in such a good place right now. I have zero regrets. And I think most of the times when I realize like, wow, this is cool is when I see friends or family tell me like, oh, I just have to like jiggle the mouse for another hour while I wait till five o'clock. And I'm like, you, you don't have work to do? And they're like, no, I just had to like pretend I'm at work. 
(laughs) (laughs) That sucks. And that's the kind of job that the educational system that doesn't even let you be entrepreneurial is setting you up for. That's what what the man wants. They're like, you know, no selling on school grounds. Yeah. We need you in a job where you're jiggling your mouse for 40 hours Seriously, a week. Seriously, and some of these are just like very high-level professionals that are like, I just have to pretend I'm working until the clock runs out. Or like I only have an hour for lunch. I'm like, oh, man, I do not miss those days. Like being in control of your own schedule is just, it is the best thing in the world. Yeah, preaching to the choir here, that's for sure, Kate. Um, and it's interesting how we do kind of have this shift towards, I think, especially with it isn't remote work isn't as um, uh, abundant as you might think. There's a lot of talk about remote work and a lot of people had remote work in the pandemic. But um, LinkedIn recently published some stats that show that only 15% of uh, job opportunities in the US have remote work options. But nevertheless, I think more than ever, there is this understanding that forcing people to work specific hours is not the optimal way in a lot of kinds of roles. So that kind of system was created at a time when we had factories and like you needed to all be there at the same time because otherwise, you know, you need like some widget to be made for you to stick that widget onto some other thing. And if the person making the widgets wasn't there, you can't do your job. So like everyone needed to be there, like manufacturing the bits. But in a lot of jobs now in this more digital service economy, you can be doing your work and slacking somebody that like your part of the work is done and it can be asynchronous. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a cool shift that's happening a bit. Um, but obviously not it's as happening free. Slowly. It's happening slowly. That's, that's for sure. Anyway, we were talking about color. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right. So we asked about whether color is always necessary in data visualization. Oh no, I hadn't asked that yet. Kate, is color always necessary in data visualization? So, uh, yeah, like are there circumstances where we don't need it? Yes, absolutely. You don't always need color, but just just to keep in mind, gray, white, and black are also colors, right? So, whoa, I know. <laughs> so, we don't always need to overload the visuals with the colors of the rainbow. Um, I actually highly recommend that if you're creating a data visualization, you start with black and white or grayscale mode and then take a step back think do you understand this chart or graph without any color and then think through who's my audience what am i trying to tell them and then see if you can properly use an uh, intentionally planned color scheme Mm -hmm. to highlight Mm -hmm. specific data points that can help you tell that story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it really is that's like the whole thing that it is as as simple as that and i think people miss that um Probably because a lot of the tools, technology that they're using, it comes preloaded with just so right. much color. And For sure. it's, it's like, do you want these six colors or these six colors? And you're like, well, do I need color? Start with that. That is a really good point. So you start with assessing whether you need color at all. You can use grayscale to start and then add color uh, intentionally, one by one. Yes. And you probably have things like, you know, the most prominent color that you're going to have uh, is maybe like your first choice. Yeah. And then you have kind of like background colors. Cool. Um, so yeah, is that the whole like thought process that one should follow when selecting a color scheme for data visualization? Or do you have like some other tips? 
Well, I have a lot of tips. I have a whole book full of tips, but <laughs> I will share a couple more here. So I think it's important to consider who is this visual intended to be seen by? So who is the actual audience? Who is the reader of this chart? And then think through sort of their perceptions, their cultures, their associations with color, and make sure that you use colors that won't offend them, that won't confuse them, that won't make them, you know, want to not look at this chart for one reason or another. Did you say offend? Yes. Some colors offend? Are you offended right now? Yes, absolutely. So let's say you're talking about uh, death and death for, you know, whatever, something really bad happened and you're reporting on death and you're using colors like hot pink, bright yellow, and like things that make people want to smile. Like it, it's sort of contradictory. It doesn't make sense. It's almost as if the colors are conveying that you're happy about what's happened. And you do that unintentionally because sometimes you're, the software is like, here, use this pink and yellow vibrant colors to spice it up where you should be using something like maybe a deep purple or, um, black or something like that right to signify purple bad for burgers good for death (laughs) (laughs) that should be the name of the episode (laughs) (laughs) seriously i love it (laughs) cool sorry and i interrupted you you were oh my god you were talking about other tips and i completely spoke over you it's probably gonna be impossible to remember no 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 there there's there are a lot of tips so uh back to the audience right so not only do we need to think about what are they thinking psychologically culturally we also have to make sure that they can actually see color properly, right? So taking accessibility into account and um, thinking through the fact that um, there is a percentage of men and women that cannot see differentiate different colors as clearly. So red and green, for example, is a mm-hmm. pretty common um, color form of colorblindness where you might not see any differences between the similar shades of green and red, which is crazy because, I mean, hello, traffic lights, stock market, like red and green is everywhere. Wow. I don't know how. I'd never thought of that. It's so obvious. That's such a really gaping glare. I know. That's why it helps when it's like, you know, red on top, then yellow, then green on the bottom. So at least you know positionally. But yeah, if you are one of the, you know, unlucky few who can't see the differences, then you're pretty much seeing it as a, as a mix. If you were to mix green and red together, it's like this nasty looking color. That's what they see. Like a brown. Like a, like a ugly brown. Yeah. Not like a chocolate brown. I remember that from mixing colors together as a kid. It seems like Like last week, right? (laughs) (laughs) My finger paints. It's my, it's my stress relief. Yeah. Actually, I don't admit to this, but, Kate, it's actually toe painting. Oh my God. Perfect. Because yes. you broke your finger, right? That's the, the Christmas card I sent you was toe painted. Very nice. I'm glad. Yes, that's an authentic. It's on my smell. fridge. You know, I'm going to have to take that down. So. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Those are really great tips. Um, what are the, one of the concepts that I came across in your book that I didn't know about before were the three color scales. You want to tell yes. us about those? Yes. So three types of colors scales that you can use there's categorical there's sequential and then there's diverging so categorical you might use for data points where you're comparing let's say the four regions of a country you know there's region a b c and d and you can probably have four different colors that distinguish those regions um 
something like a sequential color scale is when there's a natural progression. So for example, if you're plotting the growth of a tree or a plant, you might use different shades of green as, as the tree grows, you know, you're start with a lighter shade and it gets darker and darker and darker. And then there's diverging and diverging color scales essentially is when you start with a low point and then you have a midpoint and then you have a high point. So generally for diverging color scales, I'd use something like starting with an orange, having like a grayish midpoint uh, where you have like the sort of base value. And then as the values start to go up, it gets lighter blue and then darker blue. And an example for this would be like profit, profits of a company. So if you're in the negative, you're like that orangish color. If you're at your benchmark, you're at the gray color. And then as you get more profitable, you get more blue. Right. Not green and red. Come on, people. Not green and red. No. Cool. Um, Yeah. Especially that diverging one. I hadn't really thought of that as a separate category. It's interesting how there's kind of, um, there's, there's analogies in a, in a way I'm probably going to really, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to mess this up, but I'm thinking about how there's kind of analogies to uh, the way we think about numbers in statistics. So for example, categorical is like categorical variables, like how you have like binary categories or multiple groups where like you have like a statistical or machine learning model that's predicting, um, you know, whether, um, <laughs> whether a stock is going to go up or down or, uh, so you have like these two categories that you're trying to predict discreetly and then sequential. I mean, I think it's, it really is the same. Like you have this idea of rank can yeah. be important. You can have, um, statistical models that predict the rank. So the distance between first and second and second and third doesn't matter in that case, but you're trying to get them in the right order. Right. And then diverging, well, that doesn't really, I guess that's kind of like, um, <laughs> it's not exactly the same, but when you have like a regression model, uh, the kind of the baseline is zero where there's no effect and mm-hmm. then you could have positive or negative values. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know why I'm You're really pushing that analogy now. You're really trying <laughs> yeah, to, make it, really trying to make it work. But uh, yeah, I thought there was something there. Um, but yeah, so categorical, sequential, diverging, those are the three kinds of color scales super helpful to be able to think of things in those terms as we intentionally look at our charts starting from grayscale and start to add color into them. Cool. Um, So you touched a a moment ago on kind of like cultural considerations. So that's not something that I typically think about. So what kinds of special considerations do we need to have with respect to culture? Like if you were I guess if you were presenting to an audience that wasn't a culture that you're already very familiar with, would you like Google what colors mean to that? Yeah, you can Google, you can um, chat GPT, this type of information, Um, or better yet, you can talk to somebody, right? So I'd say if you don't know your audience very well, or if you fully expect to have, you know, these three specific cultures that you're not familiar with, um, reach out to members of that audience and get a feel for, hey, how does how does this make you feel, right? If you don't have the capability to actually talk to the audience and sort of test your visualizations before you make your big presentation or send across your, your chart for review, then yeah, you can start by Googling because you there, there there's plenty of information out there that sort of goes into 
well, red is interpreted as something urgent or bad or maybe exciting in the Western culture. But if we look to the East, it sort of signifies happiness, luck, and prosperity. And when the stock market is crashing, we're coloring it red. Where for them, if the stock market is rising, they're coloring it red. So that is, I think that's the number one example. It's like, oh my God, it's completely opposite and conflicting. That is literally the example that I was about to give is that, yeah, Yeah. Chinese stock markets, for example, red is a good day and green is a bad day. And then to those with colorblindness, you're not. Every day is the same poopy brown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, cool. Yeah. So cultural considerations, accessibility, we've already kind of talked about. So avoid red and green. There's also some people are yellow, blue colorblind, right? But that's rarer. That is rarer. Uh, but you can, you can still, I mean, there are, there are filters available online, like Coblis colorblind. If you just Google colorblind filter, you can see what you look like to somebody who's colorblind. You could see what your outfit looks like. You could see what your data visualization looks like. You can just, uh, you can even install, I think, uh, a Chrome extension where you can just see everything in the colorblind filter. So you can really design for that. In addition to colorblindness, you, you also need to consider if whatever you're working on and you're spending all your efforts on designing and coloring, it might be printed in black and white, right? Or it might be viewed mm-hmm. on a tiny screen from far away, or mm-hmm. it might be enlarged to the point where it's super pixelated and planning ahead for those types of scenarios, especially the the printing, um, I think people still print, right? Like if they do, a lot of times it is black and white. Like we have a copier in a library that I was just at and it was all black and white. I'm like, okay. So that's still where you're doing your printing. And I have, I have a printer. I use printers. Like I <laughs> once Poke- in a while. Pokemon bookmarks for your kids. <laughs> are your kids into Pokemon? Uh, no, but my sister's kids are. So I'm always like on the lookout for getting them stuff. <laughs> But anyways, when 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 your stuff is going to be printed, like you have to make sure if you, if you're you're relying on color to help you tell that story, then once it's printed in black and white or it's viewed differently on different screens, then your story is not going to make sense anymore. And then that brings us back to starting in the grayscale. If your story already made sense in grayscale and you were able to deliver your insights, then color is really just an added benefit and helping you to really just really highlight that story. Um, You can also use other things, like you can use symbols, you can use patterns if you want to truly make sure people see the differences between um, two categories or something. Right, yeah, you could have, I guess in a lot of situations, if you're putting, if you're making a line chart, for example, there's no reason why you couldn't have squares for everything that's orange and circles for everything that's green and so on. Yeah, you can have a solid line and a dotted line or... Makes it real simple. (laughs) Cool. Are there any, okay, so that covers like cultural understanding considerations, accessibility considerations. Is there anything else that you haven't covered already with respect to just like the general psychology of color that's like really important? In terms of the psychology of color, I think there are specific colors and this brings us back to the cultural perspectives, right? Um, Making sure that when you're selecting the color scheme for your visualization, that it makes sense for the data. So like we talked about the the deaths or a funeral, being considerate about what the topic is, not only your audience, but what is the yeah. topic that you're covering for that audience. 
-hmm. where like, for example, if, if you're delivering this to teenagers and they might love the, the hot pink and the aqua blue, you still have to consider the actual content that you're delivering to that audience and, and take right. that into consideration. Um, cool. I think the last tip, which I should have probably started with, but I'll, I'll end with is the number of colors that you're using, right? So um, if you have, let's oh. say 15 categories and you're trying to show sales across these 15 categories and you've got like a heat map going or line chart, you don't need 15 different colors. You don't need more than I'd say five colors in your entire data visualization or dashboard more than five. And people are like, okay, this is pretty, but what the heck is it? Right. It might be good for grabbing attention. Uh, like you'll notice that the cover of color wise has more than five colors, but that's, that's on purpose. That was intentional. And that's, we're not trying to tell anything with that book graph thing that O'Reilly came up with. It's like, it's like a chart coming out of a, coming out of a book with multiple colors for those uh, who are just listening yeah, in. It is coming out of a book. It is. Yeah. I didn't know what, but that the book in the background, it also kind of looks like a graph. Like it's kind of like a line graph. It's an yeah. abstraction of the book. Yeah, exactly. And a really clever, yeah, somebody did some really clever work there. Yeah. So for data visualization, you don't need that many colors unless you're really just trying to get attention. Um, many times of those 15 categories, there's one or two categories that actually is relevant to your specific audience that you're talking to. Let's say you're talking to, you know, region A who covers categories one and two. Well, you can have two colors for those two categories and leave everything else in like a light gray. So you still have those supporting details for comparison and context, but your reader is no longer overwhelmed um, with, with the amount of information that's being thrown at them. Cool. All right. So speaking of overwhelm, so you've kind of covered how we can avoid overwhelming people with a single visualization, but what about considerations once we start blending lots of visualizations together? So um, in your book, you state that we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day. I don't even really know what a quintillion is. I can't, can't picture a quintillion of things in my head. Let's count, to, let's count to one quintillion. Ready? Hold on. Okay, here we go. One. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Uh, good thing you didn't write a counting book. Um, so, <laughs> with all of those data being recorded, a single chart can't possibly expect to capture all the important things that are happening, say, in a department of a business. Forget like a whole division or the whole company. So, um, even if we make simple and consistent visualizations that convey valuable insights, is there a risk? of information overload if we place a whole bunch of visualizations in the same place at once? And so like, are there strategies on an organizational level or you know, you know, guidance that you have for us on how we can perform data storytelling at the right level of detail at a, at a given time? Yes, I think it you know, starts with the audience and what they care about, right? So no matter what you're visualizing, you're hopefully trying to answer a question or a couple of questions for a specific audience. And that's where you start. So let's say your audience is a group of people who cares about this specific topic and the question, and you know, the questions that they have about that specific topic. Well, that's the beginning of your data storytelling journey. You now have answers to that, to those questions, because we're talking about multiple charts here. 
let's say they care about the sales, the profit, the category that's performing the best. And because it's the same audience, it's like a team of management that cares about their company numbers. So you start with the questions and then you go to your data and you provide answers, right? So before you even start visualizing anything, you start providing answers. And those answers are going to be your titles for each chart. So for example, if sales have decreased for the last quarter, okay, that's your title for one chart. After you've gone through that process, you've got your questions, you've got your answers. Those answers are now titles for each chart. Then you go on and you create those charts that support the information that visually explain the story. And then you use color on top of all that to really drive home the point. And the one thing I'll say here is when you're using more than one um, visual, one, let's say more than one chart in a dashboard as an example, you have to be really careful with using colors consistently. And I see this misused almost every single time. It drives me mad. Like people participate in this data viz competitions and then they they post all of their like submissions. And some of them are amazing, right? Like, but the beginners, the number one thing I see them doing wrong is let's say going back to our example of sales by category, you have three categories. And in your first chart, you're showing sales for those categories and you're using red, green, and blue. Great. Now you're showing. I mean, they're using red and green. That's not great. Come on. Whatever. You're using blue. <laughs> you're using three good colors. Okay. <laughs> and then in chart B, you're you're also talking about the three categories, and now you're talking about the expenses for those categories. Yeah. And now you're using red, green, and purple for some reason. And now people already learned that category C was supposed to be blue, and now you're using purple. That can really throw people off, and it just confuses them. So being consistent throughout the entire process is so important. Even if you introduce new data points, let's say now we're not talking about categories, we're talking about regions, you mm -hmm. still should not use the colors that you used. Let's say if you use the yellow for one of the categories, don't use it for one of the regions. Even though it's a different data point, that same color creates a connection in people's minds. Mm -hmm. um, so you must have loved my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, because we, we painstakingly had color consistency across the code, it's the, so important. In the yes. text, and in the visuals. So like the variable Y, the outcome in yeah. a machine learning model, uh, we have that blue, the exact same blue throughout all of our figures, all of our equations in the textbook, and all of our code examples. And I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, it brings me back to one more point where people are like, well, I'm trying to spice it up. I'm trying to keep things interesting, right? <laughs> and they, they also do that with backgrounds for data visualizations. Like for chart, they'll, they'll put like a pink background or, or I don't know, a dark blue background, whatever. And it's because they're trying to do something different. Well, yeah. my, my thinking, it goes back to like reading a book, right? You don't see publishers of books printing on slightly, you know, shades of pink and blues and purples throughout the book. Um, because, you know, the, the whole point here is for people to read the text and the best way to read the text is with a white or, you know, white off white background, same thing for data visualization. Like we don't have to just get creative for the sake of spicing it up. Be intentional. Sweet. All right. Intention. That's the word of the day. Yes. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter I. Um, so, all right. Speaking of I, let's get into a I. Ooh, what a transition. Um, 
<laughs> um, so you have recently generated images with, images with AI. And I mean, this is a really exciting thing that's happening in the AI world right now. We have in 2022, there was an explosion in the number of models that could generate compelling graphics from a natural language prompt. Yeah. So Dolly 2 in 2022 was able to create uh, in a lot of circumstances, stunning high-res images of whatever you want. We had Imagine Video from Google. It creates not as good as the static images, but it creates videos um, based on some prompt that you put in. And one of um, Sadie St. Lawrence and I, in the first episode of this year, uh, episode number 641 about data science trends for 2023, one of our main predictions is that video will get better uh, mm -hmm. in 2023. But anyway, regardless, we were having this uh, explosion of models that can create visuals. And yes, you recently have been using them. So um, yeah, you made a post on LinkedIn. You want to tell us about that? How'd it go? Yeah, absolutely. So I use a tool called Canva for most of my visuals for my LinkedIn posts, for my YouTube, for my backgrounds, for whatever I need to do. It's such a brilliant tool. And when I heard that they have this text to image feature, I had to check it out. So I went in there. It was just a, a click of a button to get this app in there. And basically you, you type in anything you want. You can type in text like elephant playing the guitar with headphones on, right? I know Take a few seconds, but then I'll give you four images of an elephant playing a guitar. And it's it's pretty amazing. Now, the post I made was... Are you calling me fat? Is that, <laughs> no, no, so I actually... Just, no, I like, to, you, she's I like looking elephants. at me. I like I've elephants. got a guitar in the background and headphones what? on. What? And she's like, imagine a elephant. really fat, bald podcast host with a guitar and headphones on. <laughs> that's exactly what happened <laughs> holding a white pen hold on <laughs> no that's okay i i forgive you oh my god so anyways <laughs> it's so good at creating images you can even like it create photographs you could tell it what sort of art style you wanted to use like van gogh or abstract or whatever so i i recently used it to play around with um creating images of a female runner in various circumstances. So I've got a female runner going through space, through a forest, through high rise building area. And I kept trying to get it to be even more creative, like make this brighter. And it was just so amazing that the types of images it came up with. So I made a post, I think I uploaded like 12 or 15 different images. And the plan for those images was to find one that I can use as the cover for a new book that I'm working on. Nice. And we are going to talk about that book in a moment, as well as we're going to talk more about your running, which you've now alluded to a couple of times in the show. We haven't talked about it explicitly. You have alluded to it. Um, and so, but something that I wanted to ask you first is you mentioned Canva and yeah. particularly this new uh, text to image generation tool that's built into it. Are there other tools that you highly recommend to our listeners uh, for data visualization or other data science things? Uh, in terms of tools for data viz, I've been using Tableau, Power BI, and Click, and R, and Python, Excel. Um, one of my favorites is actually Data uh, Data Wrapper. It's so easy to use because you don't have to install or download anything. You just go to Data Wrapper, Data Wrapper, and find them online. 
Uh, you can even copy paste your images. So for something super quick, I tend to use that. But Canva also has the ability to create charts and, and graphs. And they've even partnered or bought, I'm not sure what the relationship is, uh, Flourish Studio, which is even cooler because now you can have like racing bar charts or uh, flowing Sankey charts right in your Canva presentations. Oh, That's wow. So cool. Did you say racing bar charts? Yeah. So you watch like two like bars like in a race? Yes, to exactly. Who's going to be the biggest? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's super cool. Racing bar charts. And what was the flowing Sankey charts? Flowing Sankey charts. You can have... Um, What's a Sankey chart? A Sankey chart where you have like two categories, um, uh, basically two sides of a chart. And then you've got... Like I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to visualize I know, it here. It's so for hard for our, our <laughs> podcast audience. It'll be like, uh, I'll put a Sankey chart. I'll link to yeah. the, the Sankey chart in the show notes. It's like, man, it just shows progression. It's good to show progression. Like, uh, let's say this company yeah. used to have bigger market share, and the market share is shrinking over time while somebody else's market share is growing over time. It's it's a good way to yeah. visualize something like that. I instantly, I just googled it quickly, and I instantly knew what these were. I see them all the time. Yeah, where you like, so you have, uh, your kind of your x-axis, your horizontal axis is tip. It would typically be like time. Yeah. Or like you know, it's like 2020, 2021, 2022. Mm -hmm. And then you have, yeah, it's like a bunch of bar. It's like a stacked column chart. Um, but then there's like a flow. You can clearly tie. It ties the colors together nicely between yes, each of the You can see like how, um, yeah, how like maybe one category has split into yeah. other categories in a future year or merged or grown or shrunk. Yeah, Sankey chart. Cool. Yeah, I've used these before. Um we, they're really cool. So our company, Nebula, we um, were in the human resources space. And mm -hmm. so a visualization that we're working on right now using these Sankey charts is to model, um, like, let's say you're looking to hire a data scientist. Okay. Um, it's hard to find great data scientists. So we are creating a Sankey chart where you can see what kinds of jobs people tend to have before they become a data scientist. Mm, so it's like okay. data scientist is like the middle column of the Sankey chart. And then you have like data analyst, university instructor as like the things on the left that, right. that merge into the data scientist career. And then also we show you what people tend to do later. So things like machine learning engineer, data engineer, uh, also more university instruction. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is actually really interesting. Do you have that chart somewhere where we can check it out? I want to see that. Yeah. I mean, there's no way for me to screen share in this podcasting platform, but no, uh, if there's a link, like I actually want to see what, what that progression looks like for more people. Yeah. It's a, it's in R and D, but I will try to find a way to send, to have like an example in the show notes. Yay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I interrupted you. Um, you were talking about, so you talked about racing bar charts, flowing Sankey charts, and then I went off on the Sankey chart. Oh yeah. Um, we were talking about tools. Yeah. Um, and, but you also, I think you were about to tell us about another like animated Canva tool. And I started talking about Sankey charts a lot. Yeah. That was Flourish Studio. So Flourish Studio, yeah. Flourish Studio has like Join forces uh, with Canva, so you can uh, use Flourish the way you normally would, and you you can now use it within Canva as well. And you can bring in those animated charts into your Canva if that's your main source of uh, presentation materials or whatever you're generating there. Nice, super cool tips. 
Yes. So Floor Studio sounds amazing. And Data Wrapper also sounded like a really cool tool for getting going on visualizations quickly. So yes, uh, now the running topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know that you have a new book that you're working on with running in the title. And I know that running is a big part of your life. So let's start with the book first. What's your running book about? Okay, so it was the day before Thanksgiving 2022 when O'Reilly shipped me the Colorwise books. And in that excitement, I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. Okay, now I need to write a new book, right? Like that one was officially done that day, even though it was done a couple of weeks back uh, before they actually shipped it to me. I think that's when the realization hit. And I had this idea of like, what if I shared with people what it takes to run a media company like Dedicated? and sprinkled in stories of my actual running because those two things are, I'm just so excited about them. I can, I can write about them all day. I could talk about them all day. Color-wise was an exciting topic, but I had to do uh, a lot of research for it. I had to do a lot of validation, confirmation, make sure I'm saying the accurate things. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing this book for, you know, for people who might want to become an entrepreneur or start their own media company, it's things that I'm working on. So it's super easy to write. There's minimal research. It's basically what am I working on that day? And so I had this idea and I started writing the book live, which like publicly, instead of taking it to myself. And the idea I first had was like, okay, I'll do a daily entry of what I worked on. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to come back and like compile it, make into a book and people are going to care. But in, you know, I was, I was reading a couple of books uh, by Austin Kleon. One was like, show your work. And the other one, it was something about being creative. And in that book, he said something like, you know, if, you, if you're creating something, share it as you create it. And that gave me this idea. I'm like, okay, I'm going to use Substack, which is a platform where you can write your blogs and people can subscribe to and sometimes pay a monthly fee in order to read your content. So I started writing there. I made one or two posts in November, a couple in December. And I sort of just like, I think I'm at probably 40, 50 posts at this point because I've just been hammering them out as I get these ideas. And the goal here is to just capture what I'm working on, all the processes, the tools, the technologies, screenshots of the actual ways I do work, uh, screenshots of my how much my charging clients for the kind of work I do behind the scenes, how to get clients, how to find clients, how to have conversations with them, how to make sure they're happy at the end of the day, as well as talking about my running adventure. So two things, it's it's getting me to be more focused in my work because I'm like, okay, I have to have something really cool to write about. So I have to do something really cool. And the same thing for my running and in preparation for this year, because this is going to be running dedicated for this year, um, I decided I'll have these monthly adventures. So for the month of January, I'm writing a, a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and something longer than a marathon, one thing every week. Uh, and I've got something really cool lined up for each month, some some really interesting challenge. Like wow. the best one I've got, I think, in June is going to be my first ever 24-hour run where oh. during the summer solstice, I think it's June 21st, I'm going to start running when the sun sets and then run for 24 hours. Wow. And then I'll write about it in the book. So it it gives me something to write about. It gives me a reason to run and, and go on these fun adventures. Super cool. I like that idea of being intentional with your adventures for the year. Yeah. Use some more of that in my life. 
it's interesting that you said that. So you're you're writing it live is the way you described it on Substack. But so you're you're writing like summaries of what you did because actually when you started saying that, I imagined that you would be like doing live YouTube. Sessions. Oh, right. Like, no, that's too much pressure. Like you have to brush your hair and everything. <laughs> um, so uh, for, for those of our listeners who have never looked at the cover of the podcast or watched a video version, I'm very bald. I don't know what it's like to comb my hair. I just, okay. I dream about it. Anyway. I mean, uh, me. anyways, the reason I went with writing is I could do this. Today. I, I could do it from my phone. I could do it from my laptop. I could yeah. do it from anywhere. Whereas the live, uh, I, I thought about using video, but then someone is going to have to AI, poor AI is going to have to transcribe those videos. And I think with text, it pushes me to really upload the relevant images yeah, and yeah, yeah. it gets it more ready for a book at the end of the year. Totally. Um, the, the reason why I thought it might be something that you're doing is because Tina Huang, who was on in episode number 563, she's huge on YouTube. You probably know mm -hmm, her. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's huge making videos about working in data science, particularly at big tech companies. And she, I don't know if she does it anymore, but at the time that I interviewed her uh, about a year ago, so uh, early 2022, she was most days doing live stream studying where she was I've following. I've seen that. I have seen, yeah. I think I've seen one of her videos where she was just working on something. Yeah. And it's not. You can't see her screen. You don't know what she's doing. Yeah, you just see her working. Yeah. It's an accountability and, thing. It's an accountability sure. thing. And so it's like, you know, it's at a set time. Dozens yeah. of people show up and then they follow the Pomodoro technique. So it's like 25 minutes on, five minute break. And yeah. in the breaks, they like talk about what they're doing or chit chat. It's pretty cool. I think it is I think very cool. I it, That's partially why I'm writing the book uh, live, as I said. It's yeah, for yeah, that yeah. accountability because when I when I thought of doing this every couple of days or every day journal entries, I know I'll lose interest about ten days in. But what happened with this is you can you can subscribe for free, right? But in order to fully read the journal entries, there's typically a paywall about twenty percent into the article, and you're asked to pay seven dollars for the month, okay, or seventy dollars for the year. That's what Substack suggested, so I'm like sure. And it's not like, you know, $7 is not changing my life um, right now. It's cool. But I think for me, the coolest part was when someone decided to pay the $7 to see my content, I was like, why? Like people care. People care enough to pay the $7. I don't think I've ever paid for online content. Like if, if there's a paywall, I'm leaving and I'm going to find it somewhere else for free. Like it's just, this. it's what it is. Unless it's like, you know, my family members featured in a Wall Street Journal and like, okay, fine, I'll pay the $2.99 or $10.99, whatever it costs to see that article. But mm -hmm. typically I wouldn't. And I think what with that, in, in addition to accountability, it helped me understand like people actually want to see this content enough to pay the $7. So it encourages me to keep writing because I'm like, they're, they're waiting for my content. Um, it gives you this, now I feel accountable to those people. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's so interesting to me. Is it is ironic the right, the right word? I feel like it's one of the like most incorrectly used words, but maybe there is an irony in that you never pay for online content when <laughs> like you run a paid content platform. 
I know. Yeah. I also don't really listen to podcasts, but I'm on uh, I know. Of them, so. I know. I, I'm actually in the same. I'm like, people are always like, oh, you listen to this podcast, that podcast. And I'm like, I'm like mm. I don't have time to listen to podcasts because I'm making so many podcasts every week. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And I also, yeah, like I don't, I don't have a commute. I Makes don't sense. like listening to things. Like I don't like wearing headphones at the gym. You know, mm. I want to be like present. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's interesting how that can happen. Um, and actually, so just a couple episodes ago, um, we had Tom Davenport, who's written over 20 books, um, many of them bestsellers. He was in episode number 647. And Tom, when I asked him on air, I was like, do you have any book recommendations for us? He was like, he was like, I know people who either read a lot of books or write a lot of books. <laughs> and he did have book recommendations anyway. But yeah, so there you go. Yeah, Tom's uh, awesome. That's in there. Oh, you know Tom too? He wrote the forward for one of my books. Yeah. No way. Oh, for yeah. uh, the disruptors. I, I clearly remember asking him because he wrote the forward for a lot of the books uh, for authors that I respected. And I'm like, hey. And I know he he coined the term, you know, data scientist is the sexiest uh Mm-hmm. Sexy job of the 21st century. Yeah, we talked yes. about that in this episode. Yeah, and when I asked him, uh, he was like, "Sure, I'll do it because you you spelled the word forward right." I'm like, "Oh my, wow. I'm glad I tried. I'm glad I wrote this word correctly." That is a low bar for an author. <laughs> um, you know, I also had like DJ Patel in the in that book, and uh, who he co co coined yeah, yeah, yeah. that term with, and all that. Yeah, so there yeah, there yeah. were more connections, but I just I remember that was that was a funny thing he said. Cool. Yeah, that is funny. It was a very funny episode. Really witty guy. Um, unlike you, Kate, you know, this has just been such a boring episode. I know. Such a bad time. Slugging through this thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but somehow we've made it through. And so, <laughs> so after all of this uh, drudgery, uh, I'd also like to ask you, just like I asked Tom for a book recommendation. So there, there have been many books that I read, I told you before that I read over, uh, yeah, I read 60 books just last year, but I think whenever I'm asked what my favorite book is, it always comes down to the one that pushed me the most or made me change the way I'm doing something. And I'm going to have to go with David Goggins can't hurt me. Mm. It's not sure if you've read it or if you haven't, I highly recommend the audio book version. Um, you're against headphones, but I highly recommend that one because he records this as a podcast actually. So it's like he has a, an official book narrator who you know narrates the book and then between each chapter they sort of pause and then the narrator's like Goggins man what the heck just happened talk to me about this and then he's just oh, on air like really? oh this and this happened and I like, can't believe I did that and it's great because he probably wouldn't have been the best to narrate the whole book because he doesn't have that like professional style of like reading the book and it sort of breaks it up in a really good way. So he's got two books out now. One is the can't hurt me. One is never finished. I highly recommend them both. They're not data science books. They are not self-help books. They're not motivational books, but they will help you and motivate you nonetheless to just think through any obstacle that you have and just simply be able to overcome it because he's, he's overcome so much. And that's mostly what he shares is, his story of like losing a lot of weight, changing his whole life around and his terrible childhood and all the stuff he's accomplished. He's a runner. So that helps for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he I also to make that connection. He, <laughs> for he, the did, listeners. 
Yes, he's a runner and he beat a lot of records. I think the pull-up record and some other crazy stuff. And actually one of my running challenges that I'll write about for Running Dedicated in March will be the David Goggins challenge where you run for four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Uh, I've done that challenge. You've done that before, right? Yeah. A couple of times already. I try not to miss a year ever since I learned about the challenge. It's so much fun. Oh, that reminds me that you did a CrossFit Hero Wad in 2022. Oh, wait. It was like, a, wait, what is that called? It was on Memorial Day, right? Yes. There's did a, you do the Memorial Murph Day Murph? Yeah. Murph? Murph challenge. Yes. That almost killed me. I did most of the stuff without the weighted vest, uh, but yeah. that last mile I, I did with the, and the last set I did with the weighted vest. It was hard. <laughs> I I felt paid. <laughs> during and after yeah it's uh for our listeners it's a a it's yes you're supposed to wear a weighted vest i think it's 20 pounds for men 16 pounds for women i think it's like 12 pounds i did the yeah it's i mean it's it's a serious it's a crazy i mean people i I can't do it rx like like at the prescribed weight i mean not even close i don't even know if i could do it just with my body weight because it's you start with a mile run Mm -hmm. the vest on and then it's a hundred pull-ups, two hundred push-ups, and three hundred air squats, and then you run another mile. Yes, but well, the running that. part was clearly my favorite. I'm like, oh, I can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, cool, Kate. Well, it's been so much fun catching up with you. To be honest about how I really did feel about this episode, <laughs> obviously great. Finally. Are you being ironic right now? <laughs> <laughs> I just love this episode so much. <laughs> uh, I wish it could go on forever. But sadly, oh, yeah. look, we're, we're at the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, this is definitely fun. I'm, I'm glad to have the honor to be back on the show a third time. I, I truly feel blessed to even have the opportunity. So thank you. No, we didn't have to re-record anything. So <laughs> Favorite episode ever? Probably. I mean, uh, sure, for, for this week, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and yeah, thanks for making it happen on a Friday. Enjoy uh, your super long weekend. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. And yeah, listeners, I hope you have a great week. I realize this episode doesn't come out on Fridays, so <laughs> that's a bit of a weird transition. But maybe by chance you're listening to it on a Friday. Hopefully I got lucky. Yes. All right. Um, uh thanks so much kate and we'll have to catch up with you again soon it seems inevitable okay sounds good thanks john well as usual my conversation with kate descended into some serious silliness but she did also fit in a lot of highly educational content in today's episode kate filled us in on how the intentional use of color is essential for making data visualizations easy to understand therefore making it easier for you to convince your audience of your data-driven hypothesis. She talked about how an effective thought process for intentional color use is to start with grayscale and then methodically add colors in one by one up to a maximum of up to five colors. She talked about how there are three types of color scales we might like to consider depending on the data we're working with, that is categorical, sequential, and diverging scales. She talked about how colors can convey dramatically different meaning depending on culture, such as green being positive and red being negative in the West, while those meaning the opposite in the East. She talked about how when using multiple visualizations in a given document, presentation, or dashboard, the colors of related concepts across those visualizations should be consistent, and how she loves Flourish Studio for animating visuals and Data Wrapper for creating visualizations lickety-split. 
As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, the URLs for Kate's social media profiles, including her massively popular LinkedIn profile, at superdatascience.com slash 651. That's superdatascience.com slash 651. Beyond social media, if you'd like to engage with me, coming up on March 1st, I'll be hosting a virtual conference on natural language processing with large language models like BERT and the GPT series architectures. It'll be interactive, practical, and it'll feature some of the most influential scientists and instructors in the large natural language model space as speakers. It'll be live in the O'Reilly platform, which many employers and universities provide access to, but if you don't already, you can grab a free 30-day trial to O'Reilly using our special code SDSPOD23. We've got a link to that code ready for you in the show notes. Thanks to my colleagues at Nebula for supporting me while I create content like this Super Data Science episode for you. And thanks, of course, to Ivana, Mario, Natalie, Serge, Sylvia, Zara, and Kirill on the Super Data Science team for producing another colorful episode for us today. For enabling that super team to create this free podcast for you, we are deeply grateful to our sponsors whom I've hand-selected as partners because I expect their products to be genuinely of interest to you. Please consider supporting this free show by checking out our sponsors' links, which you can find in the show notes. And if you yourself are interested in sponsoring an episode, you can get the details on how by making your way to johncrone.com slash podcast. Last but not least, thanks to you for listening. We wouldn't be here at all without you. So until next time, my friend, keep on rocking it out there. And I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.